0: such an awful thing to say but I'd see all these people on social media and they'd have babies the same age as mine and I'd be like why can they get out and why can they do this and why can't I like I, I feel like I'm struggling. Social media is a really and it's awful so much
1: pressure on us it's
0: so point. much pressure but I just sort of feel like I just I look back on it now and I was I was putting too much pressure on myself
1: welcome to talking in common a podcast of all things lifestyle family relationships well-being kids and culture This is not a how-to, but an insight into the lives of ourselves and others and how we all manage to get by. Hosted by myself, Kate Gadinski, and my co-host, Sophie Panton. Take a listen and let's find out what we all have in common.
2: Hi, my darling. Hi. Welcome
1: back to Talking in Common, my friend. Here we are. We're back. It's nice to be here. It is so nice to be here. So let's get straight into it today. Yeah, what's been going on?
2: What do we have in common? More like it. Yeah, what have we got in common this week? Well, we were just talking about how we've both eaten pizza about three times this week. It's actually been an ongoing reoccurring I had pizza conversation twice
1: over yeah. the past few days, which, look, let's just say I hope all these vitamins <laughs> that we both take are helping.
2: We even... Um, joined forces and had a good old pizza night together the other night didn't we that was so fun tell us does anyone else go out at 5 p.m <laughs> with their kids for dinner and get home by seven i was yawning on the way home in the car and i was like oh it feels like midnight aiden looks at the clock he's like telling it's quarter past seven
1: <laughs> i think because it's dark daylight savings but mm. i loved how the dinner started off you know pretty calm like the kids are all pretty happy yeah. by the end of it there's like emma wiggle going on one phone <laughs> little chocolate. lulu had
2: sauce all over her face remember?
1: <laughs> nina's throwing chocolate ice cream all around <laughs> your little honey ate a whole plate of carrots
2: yeah it's <laughs> oh, hilarious random but so much fun so much fun but anyway we're here for a really great episode today and we're super excited to share it with you guys
1: We are super excited but before we begin today's episode we just thought we should mention that we will be discussing postnatal depression. This is just a warning in case this triggers anything for you. We will be sharing some resources at the end of the episode where you can get some help in this area. We are very much looking forward to this episode today and we'll be catching up with an old friend of ours, Bianca Burge. Blast from the past. A real blast from the past. We all went to
2: school together actually.
1: She's kindly and openly shared her experience of postnatal depression with us. It was actually really interesting talking with Bianca given that she's a midwife.
2: Mm. I think the additional pressures of feeling like you need to know exactly what to do when you bring a newborn baby home with you. And being a trained midwife on top of that can be quite exceptional and she definitely experienced that, didn't she?
1: You know, she talked about, you know, whether it was issues with, you know, her feeding journey or birth expectations or just generally how you feel, you know, after having a newborn baby and... Anyway, she really opens up. I can't wait mm. to share it with you all. But before we get into our chat with her, this topic has really got Sophie and I thinking a lot about mental and physical health postnatally. When we say postnatal, we don't just mean the weeks or months after giving birth. We're talking about the years, aren't we? Mm.
2: Yeah, we are definitely. And I think it's something it's really important just to be reminded that, you know, it can be really exhausting. It can be tiring. It can be hard. All of the above. All of the above having children. And I think like one of the things that we've sort of been exploring is this, you know, it is another label but it's a, it's kind of comforting to know that there is a label on just general day-to-day exhaustion of being a parent as well and that label is postnatal depletion. One of our girlfriends shared an article with us from the ABC Everyday website and it was quite interesting and I sort of hadn't heard the term before and since then I've been doing a little bit of research into this and, my God, there's a whole world of explanations, um, Makes you feel like studies. you're not going crazy, right? <laughs> yeah, I found it so comforting. And so that's why I think we felt like this was a great opportunity just to mention this here before this episode. But postnatal depletion is more or less a physical and mental deterioration, you know, after childbirth and not caused just by the process of giving birth and breastfeeding and all of that sort of thing, but by the stresses and strains of modern parenthood, which is what we're all experiencing You know, and things like lack of sleep and hypervigilance. And hypervigilance, for example, is something that I really resonate with because being in like a really alert state a lot of the time and whether that's trying to protect your child or trying to rush around to be prepared for the next thing or...
1: That fight or flight mode as well. Almost like you feel like you have to be watching out for any dangers, anything that's Mm. going on or any cues that they give you of something they may need. Mm. It's full on.
2: It's so full it's exhausting on. and it's, it's not only exhausting physically but it's really exhausting mentally as well and I think you can experience this much later down the track of your postnatal journey. You know, I think once you've sort of been through like six months, eight months, 12 months, however long it is without getting a proper night's sleep and, and sort of living in this hypervigilant state, it can be really exhausting and deteriorating and if you're experiencing something like this, you know, these, this is the reason why.
1: You're not alone, definitely. And obviously, so you and I are at different sort of stages of our motherhood journeys. Mm-hmm. I feel like I've used that word a couple of times know, today, everything's journey. A, everything's a journey. Um, You know, you're just over a year and, year and a bit yeah, in with Honey and, and I've got a two-year-old and a five-year-old, Nina and Lulu, and I still feel like this. I mm. still feel physically mentally mm. exhausted and that hypervigilance that you're talking about constant fatigue tired when waking up mm. and you know i generally try and live a pretty well balanced lifestyle mm. most mm. of the time and often i'm like why am i so tired yeah. and i think also your brain just never switches off yeah. there's so many contributing factors yeah we could go on about this for days and Years. Yeah. We probably will.
2: We probably will. We should do a whole episode about it. It's super interesting. And, you know, with this sort of running theme of wellness and well being that we're sort of exploring this season, this was just something that came up that, you know, both Kate and I were like, oh my God, I so relate to that. It makes so much sense. And, you know, there's really obvious things too. Like, as a society, we put a lot of focus and support on the first year of a baby's life, you know, when a friend or a family member has a newborn, everybody gathers around, supports, you know, brings food, gifts. Especially the first few weeks as well. Yeah, particularly the first few weeks, the newborn stage, which is which is a beautiful thing. But I think that once you've yeah, experienced what it's like from that period onwards on reflection, it's kind of like, oh baby's actually a not that hard. <laughs> it, it it does get Welcome easier. Welcome to having a toddler. It does get easier in a way. Because you get more comfortable with your new life.
1: There's new, you know, there's new challenges with every stage, I think. Yeah. No stage is easier than the other. You know, you go through periods where you're like, I've got this. Like, I'm in a good, I'm in a good rhythm. Things are great. And then you come to a new stage and yeah. you're like, oh my God. Yeah.
2: And everyone's stages are different, you know, whether it's adding another child to the mix, going back to work moving like I don't know there's so many there's so many contributing factors what's going on in your relationship yeah exactly all of those stages are so different the other thing that I think is worth mentioning is that postnatal depression depletion anxiety whatever it may be that you may have read about heard about or even experienced yourself yes there is labels for these things but I think we're basically here to say that whatever it is that you're feeling is valid the struggle is real and it's different for everyone, males included. I think one in
1: ten males suffer from
2: postnatal depression yeah, as well. Right? Yeah. So that's definitely
1: something we would love to explore more. We would love to speak to any males mm. out there who have gone through this or anyone listening, if your partner or husband has gone through this,
2: you know, mm. we'd love to
1: to hear from you
2: mm, to talk about this
1: more. But another thing Soph and I were just discussing, which neither of us sort of knew a whole lot about, was postnatal psychosis. Mm. You know, it's very interesting. It essentially means a loss of reality. Mm. Um, It usually comes on very quick and within the first weeks after giving birth. Mm. Or it can be within within hours of delivery. Mm. Uh, That is scary. And it's apparently you find it very hard to differentiate between reality and the illness playing tricks on your brain. So
2: Mm. that is... The scary thing that I found with that is that it can come on like really unexpectedly and it can also come about if you have no history of anxiety or depression. So imagine if you've never experienced any sort of, you know, mental challenges before in your life and then suddenly you have a baby and you are having paranoid psychotic thoughts. It's pretty frightening. Yep. And yeah, like Kate said, it was something that we... Came across which we thought was particularly interesting because we sort of hadn't heard of it before, but it's really serious and, and it's. It does happen, and I think it is. It does it's happen, yeah. Maybe
1: about, they say one or two women in every 1,000 mothers. I read yeah, somewhere. Well, see, that still
2: sounds like a lot. I know,
1: it does to me too, mm. but they say some things. Well, from what I've read, again, we would love to hear from anyone who has experienced something like this because mm. neither of us have. So mm. we're purely going off some reading that we've done, but, you know, people who can be of an increased risk if you've had a history of bipolar disorder. Also, they say severe sleep deprivation that can happen in those first, you know, few days or weeks after a baby is born can bring it on, rapid hormonal changes surrounding your birth or a physical stress during delivery. So, Mm. I mean, we could talk about this.
2: Yeah, we should get into Bianca's episode in a minute because she's got... um, Lots to share with us. Lots to share with us. But I just wanted to say as well that... I have been considering a lot lately about how birth expectations can trigger postnatal depression or postnatal anxieties and I think it's just worth mentioning. I actually saw the Australian documentary Birth Time recently and they mentioned it in there too and it sort of feels like there's a little bit of a movement happening with women taking their own power back with their choices of childbirth and I think that's a really important role in potentially preventing postnatal depression and anxiety because I think the statistics that they said in that film was that one in three people, we're all about the statistics (laughs) today, one in three women say their birth was traumatic and that's pretty full on to say when it's such a a natural, the most natural process that we can experience as humans when one in three people are saying it's traumatic, that's quite full on. And I think a lot of that is due to expectations of birth so there's a whole whole world of information out there about childbirth, and you know, really, it's kind of a human rights issue at the end of the day. But taking some control back and potentially preventing that, I think, is worth mentioning as well. So
1: absolutely. Well, let's talk about our beautiful guest for today. Let's. So Bianca is a mum of two beautiful boys. As mentioned, she's a midwife. She's also a qualified sleep consultant. Mm-hmm. And she's just an all-round beautiful human. Today, we feel very lucky that she's opened up and shared with us her personal experience with postnatal depression. This is something, as mentioned before, that affects one in seven women and one in ten males. Mm. A new mother can develop postnatal depression within a few days or weeks of giving birth. Anyway, enough from us.
2: Here she is. she is.
1: Bianca. Welcome to Talking in Common. We are both so looking forward to chatting with you today and given that the three of us have such a long history of friendship, it feels extra special and we just want to start by acknowledging that you're not only giving us your precious time today, but that you're opening up about your personal experiences with motherhood, kids, being a midwife, your sleep consultancy business, but in particular your experience with postnatal depression and it's not an easy thing to be vulnerable and put yourself out there. So we really, from the bottom of our hearts, appreciate you chatting with us today. Oh,
2: thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) (laughs) So nice to see your face, too.
0: I know. It's so beautiful to see you guys, even if we're, you know, on the other sides of... A screen. Yeah, that's it. It's still so nice to see you both.
2: Yeah. So, Bianca, I want to dive right in. Yes. Obviously, we know you quite well, but for those who don't know you, tell us a little bit bit about yourself, where you were born, where you grew up and sort of where you're at now.
0: Yeah, So I've always lived in Melbourne and obviously I went to school with you two beautiful girls. <laughs> I lived in Melbourne for most of my life. I guess I'll dive right in and to say that, yeah, when I was 17, my mum passed away from cancer, yeah. which we were all in year 12 when that happened. So That was a bit of a shock to my system. After that, I moved to Deniloquin in New South Wales, where my husband was born. And I started doing my midwifery up there and was in a midwifery group practice and absolutely loved it. When I fell pregnant, I sort of wanted to be closer to my sort of family. And I don't know, I just sort of felt a drive to come back to my sort of dad and sister. So, We picked up and moved our family down the coast and I started doing my mid down here and I fell pregnant with my first little boy, his name's Oscar, and then a few years later I fell pregnant with my second little boy, Hugo, and since then I've just been sort of doing my midwifery and I've now started my sleep consulting business. Yeah, that's pretty much me in a nutshell. Yeah, nice summary. Amazing.
1: (laughs) So can we go back a little bit to your motherhood journey and where it all began? So tell us a little bit about this time for you. Ever since I have
0: been little, I've always wanted to have a baby. I have just always been in love with babies. So I think that's also what drove me to being a midwife. So when Pete and I got married, I was literally like, that's it, we're having a We're starting straight away and he was really keen to as well. So um, we were very lucky. It didn't take us long to fall pregnant. I think we were sort of pregnant in about six months. So that was pretty good and had a pretty good pregnancy. At the end of my pregnancy, I ended up having preeclampsia, which is just basically high
1: blood pressure in pregnancy. What are some of the symptoms, sorry to stop you, for preeclampsia?
0: Preeclampsia, high blood pressure mainly. um, But you can also have things like blurred vision, visual disturbances, swelling in the hands and feet sometimes you get like an upper abdo pain it's sort of different for everyone but high blood pressure is generally the main sort of one so i didn't sort of have a straightforward labor or delivery which i call the midwife's curse it was all very all over the shop and ended up in an emergency caesar and Really struggled with breastfeeding, which I've listened to your podcast before about breastfeeding and bottle feeding and stuff, and it just oh my god, it related like I just it resonated so much with me. Like I was literally in tears listening to it. Yeah, think, I'm
1: glad you're listening. I love so it when you when you no, but when <laughs> you
0: struggle, but that's okay. But when you struggle so much with breastfeeding, I think it really touches a nerve. Like you just mm. it just brings up so many emotions for you, and I think me being a midwife, everyone sort of thought, oh, you'll be fine being a mum. Like, you know everything. You You know how to do this. You know how to do that. You know how to settle a baby. You know know how to breastfeed. You know how to do all of this. And having this baby who was so colicky and so did not want to breastfeed and had a tongue tie and was just so upset 24-7, I was like, I don't know what to do in this situation. Like, I literally will help women birth babies and give them back a few days Mm. later after they leave and that's me done. Like I don't don't know how to look after a baby. Mm. So I think having Oscar, it really changed my view on a lot of things. I ended up bottle feeding him after about a month and a half of just trying and trying and trying and it just wasn't working and I'll never forget my husband sat me down one night and he goes, you know that it is okay if you bottle feed. Like it's all right. You don't have to breastfeed. Mm. And I will never fear. I just burst into tears. I was just like, I don't know. It just I feel like someone having to say that to me, kind of giving me that sort of gateway to go. Oh, you know, you don't have to breastfeed. You can formula feed. He's going to be okay. Mm. That was probably a really big sort of trigger for me,
2: kind of leading into my postnatal depression that sort of erupted. Like as in you felt that comment from Pete, your husband, as like a relief? It was like, oh, it's okay? Or was it like? No,
0: it was a massive relief. It was a massive relief. So I think going kind of back a little bit, I definitely developed the postnatal depression. I remember sort of maybe about a week in to having Oscar. I was sitting on the couch one evening And it would get to the night times and I was just like, I would just shut down. Like I couldn't, the thought of trying to look after him, I just felt alone and I wasn't. Like Pete would be Mm, helping me all through the night, but I just felt, I felt like this like black cloud kind of go over me and I just, I didn't know how to explain it. I didn't know how to kind of, I was very verbal about it. Pete knew exactly how I was feeling and I sort of remember thinking This isn't just the baby blues anymore, like this is something a bit more and I think being a midwife as well, I was very aware of the signs and the symptoms and everything of postnatal depression. I never wanted to harm my child, I just really struggled to care for him and to just not let things get on top of me. I guess I've always been quite a highly strung person and I've always kind of been quite methodical and planned and routine and everything. So having a baby to me was just out. like, there was no plan. There was no routine. It was like, here you go. Here's here's something that you've got to just care for. And And I was just sort of just massively, it disrupted everything that I kind of anticipated, I guess.
1: Had you suffered from depression before in your life prior to giving birth to Oscar? I
0: don't know, to be honest, Kate. I think when mum passed away, I feel like I was very much kind of, I've always been a very open book. I've always kind of talked about things and all that sort of stuff. I think I've always had anxiety, which I've never really understood. I'd never really understood what anxiety was until I had a baby and then everything would kind of get on top of me and stuff and I really, I did really struggle with that. But looking back on it now... Probably not so much depression, but I always have had an anxiety buildup that sort of could have turned, I guess, either way. Mm.
2: So how did you recognise the signs of it being postnatal depression when you were experiencing that, if you hadn't sort of experienced depression before?
0: Yeah. One of the biggest things was I cut a lot of people out, which I'm quite a social person, probably not so much since COVID. I've very much gone to a bubble, but... I think having, yeah, having a lot of sort of family support around me, I'm very, very lucky, but I shut a lot of people out. I had my mother-in-law, who was amazing, come down and help me and, you know, support me after I'd had both the boys. But I just, I don't know, I sort of shut down. I didn't want anyone to come over. I would make excuses for people not to see us you know, my sister who is literally my best friend would come over and I would literally just shut the door and and I wouldn't let her in. And I would just, a lot of crying, I think a lot of crying and Mm. a lot of just, I just, I couldn't cope. I couldn't, I couldn't deal with just like him crying. And Mm. it's such an awful thing to say, but I'd see all these people on social media and they'd have babies the same age as mine. And I'd be like, why can they get out and why can they do this and why can't I? Like I, I feel like I'm struggling. Social
1: media is a really, put so much pressure on us. It's so much
0: it? pressure but I yeah, just sort of totally. feel like I just, I look back on it now and I was, I was putting too much pressure on myself like so, so much and I think definitely it lasted a good few months until I probably really got his sleep sorted. I think definitely the biggest trigger for me was his sleep and then once I kind of got to about maybe six months, I really sort of started coming out of it. And then every time you sort of have really bad sleeping, I would find that it would sort of rear its head again and I'd sort of learn to cope and all that sort of stuff. And then it became really good. I was able to manage it and my anxiety would sort of build up and I'd get an app up on my phone and I'd sort of do a bit of meditation and just try to relax and do all that sort of stuff. Going into my second baby, Hugo, who's nearly two, he'll be two next week, which I'm just blown away with Um, I think I was a lot more aware and statistically women with postnatal depression are more likely to get it second time around if they have had it previously Mm. and I remember doing the Edinburgh depression scale which is something that midwives will kind of get you to do in the antenatal appointments and I remember doing it and I think I scored about like 18 or 19 which is so ridiculously high And I just remember thinking, oh, God, it's come back again. And I just, I didn't feel as kind of, I guess, scared of what it was sort of doing to me this time around. But I think definitely I was a lot more anxious because obviously I had a a one-and-a-half-year-old at that stage with a newborn and I was thinking I'm so petrified that I'm not going to be able to care for the boys, like, And I don't want them to see me crying and in a mess and in a ball. Like, it scared them enough as it did. I think that really sort of frightened me. But, I mean, my husband was incredible and he took some time off work. My mother-in-law would come down from Daniloquin. Dad would come over. My sister would come over. I didn't shut Mm. as many people out the second time around, but I definitely feel like it was definitely prevalent it was a it was still really really there.
1: Mm. Back to when you just had Oscar how did you go about reaching out and where did you reach out to get some help when you realized that it was postnatal depression? It
0: sounds awful but I think I was too proud I felt again being a midwife being a healthcare professional I was very kind of like no no I can do this myself like I'm fine I don't want help. In a way, I sort of, I knew Mm. that I had postnatal depression, but I feel like saying it
2: was... Yeah, it was scary. It was
0: scary to say, like, I have postnatal depression. It was like, I feel like I have failed. And knowing it now, I haven't. And it's not something to feel like a failure about. But I think, you know, it is, it's such a stigma and it's such a... Women don't like to say that they have it. Yeah. I guess in terms of who did I talk to first time around definitely it was mainly I did have a um a sort of psychologist that I was seeing that I sort of spoke to on the phone in the end but I didn't really engage too much I sort of felt a little bit like I could cope on my own with sort of family and friends
1: yeah
2: but when it did start to get a little bit worse I did start to engage with her a lot more it's all about the support network around you it isn't really it? is and tapping into that when you when you need to
0: a hundred percent yeah
2: definitely yeah So you mentioned before a little bit about your birth with Oscar and that it was a bit of a traumatic experience ending in an emergency seizure, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Kate and I have been talking a bit recently about the expectations we put on ourselves these days with birth, childbirth, and how – you should try and do it naturally. You should have a plan. You could do calm birthing or (laughs) hypnobirthing and, you know, read all the books, be a birthing goddess and do it with no drugs and no intervention. And (laughs) And your birth will be the complete opposite to what you've (laughs) hoped for generally. Or even the opposite, you know, maybe you choose to be more ignorant and just go in there and be like, I'm going to be looked after medically and I don't need to know anything, whatever your path is, there's pressures. There's definitely pressures, and we sort of feel like that can trigger anxiety or postnatal depression. Do you feel like that played a role for you?
0: It's really funny that you say that because I actually every time I thought of my birth, giving birth to Oscar, and I don't know if it's just the like me being cynical or mm-hmm. just me being a realist, like. With Oscar, all I would see was myself going in for an emergency Caesar. I could never see myself having a normal birth. It was really weird. Every time from very even when I first fell pregnant, I would think about it and I could never see myself giving
1: birth. Like You knew. Yeah. I just Your mother intuition was already Yeah,
0: and whether that sort of, you know, I guess like, you know, you manifested it or something. Yeah, I don't know. But I mean, look, I was 37 weeks and five days when I ended up giving birth to him because my blood pressure just went too high. And my incredible obstetrician was sort of just like, you know what, like, we're just going to go for it. And I had my utmost trust in him. And I guess to a point he did with me, like he was incredible with me, like he would still want to sort of know how I felt. And if he wanted to go that way, but I definitely sort of, I feel like when you're kind of enlisting that help you kind of you do want to have some sort of faith in the in the system and the process so what made you want to be a midwife still to this day like I just I love I love babies I love the connection that you form with families I love being a part of like one of the most incredible moments of their life and yeah I just I love being around people and I always have but to be a part of so such an incredible moment in someone's life is such a privilege to me.
1: It really just,
0: yeah, it just makes me beam. Mm, mm.
1: Yeah, I just love it. I love it. I wish you were there as one of my midwives. You'd be amazing. You'd be such a beautiful, you've got such a warm, like beautiful soul. thank you. You'd be so lovely to have around, I reckon. Yeah,
0: it's a pretty special career to kind of have, um, I don't feel like I'll ever kind of give it up. I really do. I really do love
2: it. I honestly can tell. Your face is lit up <laughs> and your, your
1: voice has changed. Amazing. So was there much emphasis on postnatal depression in your midwifery education and training?
0: Yeah, there was definitely. I think I'd seen it a fair bit with a lot of mums as well. So I kind of, I sort of knew really apart from obviously being educated and I sort of you can tell when someone's really not coping whether they want to admit it or not I really feel like people you can tell if someone's got it and I yeah I I don't know I guess I guess yes
2: so what tips would you like you just mentioned that you can sort of tell if someone's got it I mean probably partly because of your education but more so because you've experienced it yourself, what tips or advice would you give to someone who is experiencing the early signs of postnatal depression?
0: I think the biggest thing is to just talk to someone and just to know that it's not something that you should be embarrassed about. There are so many people that are going through it and, you know, they may put on a brave face, but it is so important, I feel, to normalise it and to say that, you know doesn't discriminate. Mm. Like it can literally be any single person. There are that many celebrities that are now coming out and saying that they have it or had it. And I think that's really good. I feel like, you know, that is normalizing it and making it that it is something that we need to be aware of. And we need to look after our mums and our dads. Like when I was going through postnatal depression, like I had to, you know, like looking at my husband now, looking back on it, For him to see me like that, that would have been impossibly hard Mm. for him. Like, he would have hated it. Like, Mm. it's not enjoyable. And it's, I feel like the biggest thing is to talk to someone. And for the people who are lucky enough to have family around, like, really try and engage with them and try and take some time for yourself and allow your family to help you or your friends to help you. And when they come over, just, take the baby and let you get a few hours sleep. Mm. And if you need to kind of get in touch with a healthcare professional or something,
2: do. It's not something that you should be ashamed about at all. We've been talking about the dads. Yeah, haven't so we? Postnatal depression obviously is a very female focused diagnosis, but I think it's like one in seven women suffer, but also something like one in 10 dads. Men, men, dads. So it's, almost just as common for guys to get it. And that's certainly not something that's spoken about, so. Oh, God, no, no, no,
1: definitely not. Can we talk about your gorgeous husband, Pete, for a second? Yes. (laughs) Love him. So (laughs) 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 So what impact has having children sort of had on your relationship, you know, good or bad? Also, though, with the added pressures of you having postnatal depression, how did he... How did he cope during that time?
0: Yep. so Pete and I have always been. I'm quite obviously quite, as you both know. I'm quite a vocal person, so if I'm not happy with something, I will. I will tell <laughs> <He'll know>. you. <laughs> you know, trust so me. He is pete is just he's a a typical country bloke he's really nothing phases him he's a big friendly giant like he's just he's a really kind-hearted person so it took him a while to kind of get used to my personality and my sort of my blowing up in my personality and you know like my urge to fight and get angry and then i'd simmer down quite quickly But then I think when I sort of got postnatal depression, and he saw me struggling so much, and he saw me struggling with the feeding. I think he felt quite helpless. I think he really wanted to help me, but he didn't know how to. So he would, he'd always just take Oscar and, and just go off and go for a walk and kind of, you know, let me have a few minutes to myself, or he would just call my sister and get her to come over. Cause sometimes the only way that I would be sort of rational was if my sister would kind of tell it to me straight. But he'd do lots of beautiful things. Like I'll never forget. I was actually thinking about this the other day. He got me this beautiful sort of spa retreat thing, and just put it in front of me one day and said, "You know, go off and do it." Bless I still him. Still, actually haven't. You, I still oh, haven't. Oh, okay. <laughs> Yeah, I really need to. Probably really, I really, I really now. need to. Yeah, no, it probably would have been <laughs> expired by now. I'll blame Cody. <laughs> Aww. But, no, he has been my absolute rock. There's absolutely no way I could have gotten through without him in any of the few years. Kids are really tough on a relationship and I think, yeah, and I feel yeah, like yeah. oh yeah, it really tests your relationship but it also brings you so much closer together.
1: Mm. Couldn't agree more with that actually. Yeah,
0: it's just, it is. It's like I thought I was close with Pete before we had kids and now I look back on it and I'm like I just the relationship we have now is just so pure and just so real and, you know, like he's my best friend but I just, yeah, I just love him so much and I love watching him with our boys and how like that's how they're, he's nice. just sort of shaping them into such beautiful little human beings You've got great role models
2: you're two beautiful boys yeah it's
0: like why like i'm just i'm i'm just like fully like <laughs> bless Pouring your heart <laughs> so, it's
2: beautiful it's beautiful sometimes you don't no, get an opportunity to talk about your partner like I know, that do you that's true yeah like no, it's usually true. like oh you're so annoying you haven't taken the bins out you, know. haven't oh, you haven't made dinner yeah
0: there are days there are days where i would love to like throw a rock at him, but, you know, there are also days where I'm like, Throw oh. a rock at him. <laughs> I was going to say something more, but I don't know. I probably shouldn't say anything to him. <laughs> that That's it. It's hilarious. <laughs> so Oscar
1: is nearly four and Hugo, you said before, is nearly two. How do you sort of feel mentally now?
0: Well, Hugo at the moment, Hugo at the moment is going through the lovely two-year-old tantrum stage so at times, definitely I would say that I have my postnatal depression pretty well under wraps at the moment. It's pretty it's pretty good, but it will always rear its head again at times. Mm. So, you know, whether they are both just having a really off day and they're sick or, you know, they're both just wanting mum and I can't get a minute to myself and I do find that I do regress slightly and I just have to remember that this is just a bad day and we're going to get through it and tomorrow's a new day and sort of just try and look at it sort of from that perspective. And I mean, my sister's amazing. She'll know the minute that, you know, anything sort of starts looking like I'm kind of getting a little bit, you know, a bit regressed, she'll kind of get me out of the house and we'll go and do something. And or she'll come over and watch the kids for a few minutes. Like, I mean, she's got a little one too, but she is just, she's been
2: fantastic. So it's a good, point that you've brought up you know now that your kids are two and almost four that it still can rear its head because I think people also sort of classify postnatal depression only being like a diagnosis in the first year but some people might get it three years down the track and find it hard to diagnose that that's what it might be but
0: yeah definitely yeah I totally agree and as I said like My postnatal depression is definitely triggered a lot by when my kids, if they're playing up or if they're not sleeping well. Mm. So I definitely, I think that's really what brought me towards wanting to do, to sort of train to be a sleep consultant because I really, sleep for me is severely important. And I feel like if we're sleep deprived, it's a form of torture. Like it's
2: seriously. Oh my God, I couldn't agree more. Yeah.
0: And I just think like with you know, with wanting to become a sleep consultant, it was to help families and to help mums who so many of my clients have had or have postnatal depression or anxiety or, you know, build up of just stress. And I want to help them relieve that. Like I don't, apart from me being a midwife and wanting to help people, I feel like it's just in my, yeah, in me to just want to help people. And I love helping people. And I love seeing that The result of how that sort of affects families and their lives.
1: And amazing that, as you said, you know, a lot of mums that you have or families that you have helped, you know, the mums have suffered also from postnatal depression. The fact that you have, you've gone through that or you are going through that, you can really relate to each other, which is so important too, not only as because you're a mum and you know what it's like to be a mum, but that you've both experienced something like that.
0: Definitely. Yeah,
1: it's so important. Tell us more about Plan B. Yeah, I want to know, know everything. Uh,
0: so Plan B. Yeah. Plan B was created about uh, just over a year ago now. You know, I've, I've always actually had since I had Oscar, I've always had a real interest in sleep and why babies need to sleep the way they do and all that sort of stuff. So that was really important to me. So I did a course on sleep consulting and I Became a certified sleep consultant. Yeah, it's honestly going so incredibly well. I'm just, I'm very blessed with how quickly it's sort of been created and how well it's going and um, how many amazing families I have um, looked after and the beautiful people that I've met along the way and the gorgeous little babies I've met. And I've helped sort of to change their lives, which is seriously the most incredible thing to kind of,
2: Yeah, to say. I love it. Did it start as a bit of a side hustle while you're still working as a midwife?
0: It was always just going to be my side hustle with sort of having my mid was always sort of my main thing and I will never get rid of my mid because I just, I do love it too much and I've, I worked my butt off too much to kind of drop it, but it's kind of become a lot more than um, just a bit of a side hustle now. It's getting to be a sort of (laughs) full-time job.
1: You're a woman in demand. (laughs) Yes, I'm loving it. I can imagine also with your background as a midwife, you know, if someone was to have you as their sleep consultant, it'd be so great because you've got so much extra knowledge that you can also give them because you know about feeding and you know you know about a lot of stuff. Yeah, so. and I
0: feel like that is definitely one of the highlights of me being a sleep consultant is that I am also a registered midwife mm. and that I'm obviously not doing the techniques that I do to ever harm a baby. It's not that's not the way I sort of
1: and you're probably thinking about their babies when you're not there with them. You know, how are they sleeping tonight? Has this technique worked? Is the mum okay? Is the dad okay? You know? That's it. It is. It's, it is really upsetting.
0: And then you get these like SOS messages, and you're just like, you're trying to sort of juggle everything, and it gets really, really, really intense because you just want to help them so much. So that's mm-hmm. why I'm I'm extremely dedicated when it comes to it because. I want to see these results for these families. I don't care about anything other than really helping them. That's just what I want to do for them is make their
2: lives a bit easier. Do you find it a bit therapeutic for you and your past experiences with your baby sleeping and your postnatal depression?
0: Yeah. If I had anyone that was this dedicated as what I try to be, I really feel like I feel like I probably would have been on top of it a bit more with, my, with mm. the postnatal depression because, as I said, you know, sleep for me was the biggest trigger. But also just try to normalise things as well and sort of say, like, newborns cry and newborns get to a point where they start to catnap and to know that it is normal and not that your mm. is broken or that you're doing something wrong either.
1: We analyse sleep so much as mums, don't oh we? My God, like I know. all we talk about is sleep. Even now, like we're talking I, about my, it. <laughs> my girl's sleep is under control, but we talk about it like what they do, how long they napped for, have they napped for too long, did they not nap for long? You enough? only have to look at like when someone just has a baby. But what are the first two mm. things that they get asked?
0: How's the baby yeah. sleeping? Oh. And they breastfeeding well oh my god yeah and I will never I forget never ask when people anyone
1: those questions yeah out, ever. when
0: people used to say to me oh so are you um are you breastfeeding and I'd be like I never really understood how offensive oh. that question is until someone asked me. and I was like
2: until mm, you've experienced it because I
0: ended up having two bouts of mastitis as well and was hospitalized for that when I had Oscar oh gosh and I remember one day someone said to me I said, oh, no, I'm, I'm actually formula feeding. And they said, oh, why? Did you try breastfeeding? <laughs> and I said, oh my God. Uh, yes, I did. And I sort of felt almost like I had to justify why I wasn't breastfeeding. And second time around with Hugo, I think I had that much sort of stress around the thought of breastfeeding again. I went straight to bottle feeding. I went straight to miller i could not Mm. even now thinking about breastfeeding for me is such a trigger like it just gives me the most oh it just makes me just the the emotion that kind of came with it so second time around Mm. with hugo he was formula fed and to me a fed baby is a happy baby i couldn't care less whether you formula feed breastfeed give your baby express breast milk just Love them. That's all I say. Mm.
1: Bianca, I remember actually reaching out to you when I had issues with feeding. Yeah, that's Lulu right. And I was stopping breastfeeding, and you—the messages that you sent me were just so supportive and so beautiful. It is. It's such. It's, and I feel like that's the thing. I think women need to stop making
0: f- mums who formula feed making them feel bad and making them feel like it's not normal mm-hmm. because you have no idea the struggles that they have gone through to get to that point and the emotion that it's taken to actually not breastfeed and Mm. i think you know everyone's got their own journey and everyone's got their own sort of history and i think we all just need to as women we need to support each other and just be there for each other and Mm. like stop making it out to be some sort of competition and oh my baby sleeps so well oh my baby breastfeeds so well oh my baby does (laughs) this my baby started
2: rolling at two months like It's not about that. Yeah. But it's so true, Bianca, you're right. It does become like that very unwillingly but easily. I've got a couple of quick answer questions for you just to do with your sleep consultancy. Put you on the spot a bit. What's the question you get asked most about sleeping techniques?
0: That's a tough one actually because I usually – A lot of people misinterpret a sleep consultant to think that all we do is put a baby in a room and let them cry and that there's no sort of love in it and it's like we're just all kind of a bit mean and just let your baby cry, which is not Mm. the case at all. There are lots Mm -hmm. of different age-appropriate techniques and stuff like that. I do get sort of if I'm in a group, I will get someone sort of always asking me, they'll be like, oh, so why would my baby not sleep if they're doing this, this and this in the day? And it's, it is so hard to answer something like that because you really need like the full picture to kind of piece everything together to kind of get that understanding. So there's probably nothing specific that I get really asked in terms of, it's probably mainly just, you know, a lot of mums sort of worried about the sort of cry it out method yeah, and sort of making sure that they're able to still go in and sort of look after their baby as they sort of need to.
2: Yep. And what would be your answer that you give most about that question?
0: I am not opposed to a bit of crying. I think that crying is really good to sort of establish a bit of um, independence for babies, Mm -hmm. depending on their age, obviously. But my sort of go-to is spaced soothing, which is small increments of allowing your baby to cry and increasing those increments as the days go on. Mm -hmm. And obviously age appropriately, you'd be looking at that with support and stuff like that. But a lot of mums will read a lot of the stuff on blogs or on, you know, Instagram or whatever, and they'll try it and then they sort of aren't always doing it right. So then they get quite frightened by it. But if you've got the support and you've got the understanding of why we're doing it, that we're actually teaching a baby to sleep. So babies need to learn this skill. It's a learnt skill. It's not something that they sort of just have in them all the time. So and there's lots of things with your regressions and everything that babies go through that, mm. that sort of help. But, yeah, that's probably my biggest sort of thing I, I love. I really do love a bit of space soothing.
1: <laughs> Finally. What are the top tips you would give to new parents about their babies and sleep, given that sleep seems to be, you know, the most common talked about thing with a new baby?
0: Definitely enjoy the newborn stage. I think that it goes so quickly and although it doesn't feel like it in that stage, you look back on it and it goes so quickly. Don't look at everyone else and judge yourself and compare yourself and, just try to be in your beautiful little love bubble with your baby and enjoy it. I think I get a lot of new mums messaging me saying like, I don't want to stuff up my baby's routine. Like I don't want to, I've just had a baby and what do I do to get them into a good routine? And I am very, very quick to say, enjoy this time, you know, like love them, care for them, watch for tired signs Mm -hmm enjoy this time with them because it really does it's just a fleeting moment and it's gone generally once they sort of hit that three to four month mark that's sort of when I start to say yep we can start getting into looking at more sort of training now but in the newborn stage just love them and have one motionless sleep a day that's probably my biggest thing and the rest if it needs to be in the pram or the car or in a front pack just do it to give you that sanity and to get you through mm, the day good tips and also look after yeah. your but also look yeah. after yourselves because that's the biggest thing as well mentally look after yourself give the baby to you know your partner and just go and have a bath or go for a walk for yourself or just try and get out for a bit so go have old. a glass of wine mm. with a friend and just or coffee or whatever it is just try and try and get a little bit of that normality back in your life
2: funny you mention it because we do like to ask our guests when you do get a little moment to yourself and I mean you've been so generous today sharing all your tips about how you support others and everything that you do for others what do you do when you get a chance to give yourself a bit of self-love or self-care oh so if to
0: I'm use your so bad at Pete. self-love and self-care I you need to practice what you're preaching, girl. I do, I do. I'm so bad with it. I love every Saturday, which I, I do end up taking the boys most of the time too because I love watching them. <laughs> <laughs> you miss them when you're not with them, yeah, don't you? But I do, I love going down to the market on a Saturday and just, you know, just enjoying time down there with the family and stuff. Actually, no, I do. I do Pilates twice a week now, so that's really something I do enjoy for myself. Mm. And just kind of getting out and trying to have dinner with friends when we can and all that sort of stuff and going over and having a wine with a friend and just trying to, you know, debrief if I'm not feeling too crash hot or if, if life has just kind of gotten on top of me. Mm.
2: But I do, I definitely do need to practice what I preach a bit more. I'm pretty bad at it. <laughs> I imagine you tell women every day, take care of yourself.
0: I know, but we never, we take never do. do we? we never say, you know, we, we always say these things and never do them ourselves. You know, mm. sleep when your baby sleeps, like all that yeah. stuff. And then, and then you're wide awake watching. I oh, know, sleep when your baby I know, sleeps. I know, I have got shit And then do, it's like, like clean when your baby cleans, iron when your baby
1: irons. <laughs> like it, just, it just doesn't work. Um, well, hopefully before you have to go pick up your boys this afternoon you might be able to sneak in a little bit of I wish whatever. but I have got a pile of
0: washing I've got a pile of washing sitting right next to me that's calling
1: my name yeah oh, don't <laughs> I we all the laundry I think <laughs> Yeah. Oh Bianks, thank you so much. This has been amazing chatting with you. Thank you guys so much. It's such a beautiful thing
0: that you guys are doing. And, you know, thank you so much for allowing me to come on and and talking about my journey and trying to normalize it a bit more. Mm,
2: No, good on you for talking about it. I actually just want to thank you because um it actually has reassured me a little bit just having the conversation with you because I definitely suffer from a bit of anxiety and definitely was triggered a lot by it. With a newborn. Yeah. And when you said earlier about when the nights would come, you just sort of would shut off. And yeah. when it got to late afternoons for me in those first few weeks, that was a real trigger for my anxiety. And then I just wouldn't sleep all night. I mean, yeah. let alone getting up and feeding the baby all the time. Yeah. But when I wasn't feeding the baby, I was just like riddled with anxiety and stress about sleeping and I just couldn't cope. And it was really hard. So it is just it by is. you mentioning that really small thing made me feel more comfortable oh, with ooh, my I'm experience. so, so
0: Yeah, I'm so glad. Mm,
2: so good on you for sharing. Thank you. And we you, thank my you. Love. You're awesome.
0: Thank you. You guys are
1: awesome. that's it for today make sure you head to incommonprojects.com.au for the show notes hit subscribe and follow us on instagram at talking in common or check out our facebook page which is also talking in common if you think you may be experiencing signs of postnatal depression you can head to beyondblue.org.au or panda.org.au where you can find more information on where to reach out for some help have a lovely day and as always thanks for listening